Hi, this is Peter Schwartz, public address announcer for the Cosmos, and you're listening to the First Team Podcast. Hello, Cosmos Country. This is the first episode of 2018. I hope you guys had a great holiday, had a great new year. We just took a mini break after our NASL v. U.S. Soccer Federation appeal hearing episode because I thought we were going to have a ruling from the court after that episode, maybe a week or two later, but that wasn't the case. And then there was the holidays, so we decided to take a mini break so we can get uh, rejuvenated for uh, the 2018 season. Hopefully we do have a 2018 season, but just for the year in general. And uh, we are officially back and uh, we will be back every single week. We will have episodes updating you about what's going on. We will have discussions and have interviews over the next couple of weeks. So look out for those. Uh, But on this week's episode, we will have Kartik Krishnair on the show to discuss the future of the NASL and the news that U.S. Soccer Federation sanctioned USL as Division 2. The first bit of news, and I do have a list in front of me, so I will go through that very quickly, and then we will talk to Kartik Krishnair. If you have any questions, any comments, you can email them at firstteampod, that is firstteampod at gmail.com. The first bit of news here on my list is that Giovanni Savarese has officially joined Portland Timbers. Best of luck, Giovanni Savarese. I know you will... Um, do your best. He always gives 110%, and uh, he always takes one game as a final. Like he always used to say, each game is a final. He takes each game, and he and it's very important. For some players, for some managers, it might not be important because it's just another regular season game. But uh, for Giovanni Savarese, he takes every game like it's a final. He really believes in that. And I think that might be a great change for MLS because... I don't watch the league that often, but from what I understand, you can get complacent and things like that. And I think Giovanni Severese won't stand for that. He wants his players to work hard. And I think he's done a great job at the Cosmos. And I think uh, if he brings that same mentality and brings that same philosophy to Portland Timbers, I think he will do a great job there. And hopefully he gets uh, the U.S. Uh, men's national team job right after that. In America, we don't have a direct pathway for players for coaches you really have to prove yourself at each level and not Giovanni Severese taking the Cosmos to the first division and proving himself there and then getting a bigger job in the first division like it might be in England like in in the Premier League there's some great managers like the manager for Bristol City I think his name is Lee Johnson there's talk oh wow is he gonna get a 
managing job in the Premier League. Well, maybe he's not. He doesn't have experience in the top flight, but what he has to do is take his team from the second division to the top flight to prove himself there. That's sort of what Giovanni Savarese is doing, is that he couldn't take the Cosmos to the first division because we don't have that system here. I wish we did. He has to move on because he just needs to take the next step in his career. And I was having this discussion or just as thought a couple of days ago that you have Giovanni Savarese and you have Mark Dos Santos. You have two managers that has coached at the same level. Giovanni Savarese at the professional level has only coached for the New York Cosmos. You have Mark Dos Santos, who has coached for the Fury. He coached the Deltas. He managed Swole Park Rangers, Sporting Kansas City's reserve team in the USL. He's been to a couple of finals. He's won two championships at that level. And you have Mark Dos Santos, an assistant manager now at LAFC, the brand new MLS team. And then you have Giovanni Savarese at Portland Timbers as the manager. So what's the difference? Why did Giovanni Savarese deserve that spot and Mark Dos Santos didn't? I think they're both great managers in their own right. But does Mark Dos Santos have to work for a lot more? Does he have to work harder? Does MLS don't believe in his abilities? That's the thing is that like there's great coaches out there. There's great players out there. And these players and coaches and, and front office staff, they deserve a chance at the top level, at the top flight, to make a lot more money, to prove themselves, to show the whole world and the whole country that they're good players, that they're a great manager, right? What's the criteria? Giovanni Savarese won championships with the Cosmos, but he's only coached one team. Marco Santos won championships, but he's bounced around. Doesn't that make him a better manager that he's been at more than one club? He showed that he can build a team from the ground up with the Deltas, with the Fury. This criteria, whatever you want to call it, it's not perfect. But I'm not hating on Giovanni Severesi. I think he deserves his chance. I think Mark Dos Santos deserves his chance as well with a coaching job in MLS. I think he wants one. I really believe he wants a head coaching job at the top flight at that level. But I don't know when he's going to get one because it's a flawed system where, in my opinion, experience at any level, makes sense. So if I coach four teams, win three championships, I deserve a chance at the top flight because I've done well at the lower level. But that's really not how it works for MLS. They create their own rules. They just pick who they want based on their own criteria for that one club. It's really sad at times because like Walter Restrepo, for example, you can see that he's a great player. He plays for the Cosmos. He played um, for San Antonio. He played for the Strikers. He goes to Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Union of MLS, and then he's just playing for the reserve team. And I think they paid a transfer fee for him too. And we got Michael Hood on loan as well. So they really thought highly of him, but they treated him badly. They treated him badly, and that's just my opinion. But if you pay a transfer fee for someone and you think that this guy is a great player and you really believe it in his talents, you give him the world. Not money-wise, but you trust them. You give them playing time. You give them this. You give them that. But no, go play for the reserve team. And now, where is he now? With the Rowdies, I believe? Um, so very sad times within U.S. soccer on that point right there. Um, but moving on from there, the Cosmos, they announced on January 4th, 2018, that five players' contracts have expired following the conclusion of the 2017 NASL season. Those players include Djokovic, David Ochang, 
Eugene Sturikoff, Juan Arango, and Emmanuel Ledesma. Eric Stover, New York Cosmos Chief Operating Officer, had this to say, We would like to thank all of the players for being part of the Cosmos family and wish them the best of luck with their next team. As we await a decision regarding the future of the NASL, we've offered contract extensions to several players that will keep them on our payroll at a minimum throughout the month of January and possibly for the 2018 season. Details of the contract extensions are not being released at this time as the agreements have not been finalized. So as we all know, even when the Cosmos do indeed sign a player, it is never released on the contract details, how many years he's been signed for, how much money he's making. In other leagues across the world, you know those details. Probably the club and the player would say, why would you want to know? Um, that's personal information. When you go to sports, it, it's more of a open business. The fans care. It's not just going to buy a shirt or just going to a mom and pop store. This is something that's more than just going to the games. It's a family. It's it, it, like you're very close to everyone, like as a fan base, to the players, to everything. And you, you're very attached to this club. So I think as a supporter, you would probably want to know a lot more of like, oh, how long does Emmanuel Desma have on his contract? Because that's just something that fans want to know. But maybe we might get that transparency in the future. Moving on to the next topic, the North American Soccer League moves to the international calendar. The NASL will become the first U.S. professional soccer league to operate in line with global soccer calendar. NASL interim commissioner Rishi Segal released the following statement. We find ourselves in a difficult position due to the Federation's decision and the impact that decision has had on our players, fans, and front office members is unfortunate. That said, we believe the change to a fall-to-spring format will be very exciting for American soccer as it will better align the NASL with the best soccer in the world. The reason why they did it is that they won't be ready in time for their spring season if they would have went with that uh, because clubs opened their preseason, then they have the spring season, which might happen in March, April, and we're already in January when clubs should be signing players or have a squad of players that is participating in uh, a preseason and maybe is going abroad or, or playing friendlies, things like that. Um, so the league is going to push that back to August, hoping that we have a decision from the court that is in the league's favor so we can move on with this decision to have this international calendar and bring in more teams. The Cosmos need players. We need a manager. We need um, to sell tickets, sell season tickets. There's a lot to be done with the Cosmos and with other clubs in the league. We're not sure if the two expansion clubs that have been officially announced, California United or 1904 FC, if they're going to join the league in 2018 if we do win the appeal hearing. So there are so many uncertainties that we won't know for sure until we get an official decision from the court. And I hope that's soon. I really hope that's soon because if we don't get one soon, then players are not going to have homes. Clubs might not be around. They might go out of business. They might join different leagues. And the NASL might be dying slowly. And I hope that's not true. But if we wait two more months or three more months for a decision, Jacksonville is not going to stay around anymore. Miami might not be here. Puerto Rico might not be here. The two California clubs, they're brand new clubs. 
they might want to go somewhere else and and plan for a future in another league. And that's the sad reality for the, the North American Soccer League. And I hope, I really hope it doesn't have to come to that. I hope we can build with these clubs and add the seven more clubs from the MPSL and make them professional clubs so we can grow this league. I think once you add those clubs, I think the league gets exciting. We have an international calendar. We can follow the summer and the winter transfer window. A lot of fans know how that works. We follow foreign clubs. So we're slowly building a great league, but we just need help from the court uh, to see that we're being driven out of business because we don't agree with what U.S. soccer wants. They don't want us to be Division 2 because of whatever reason. They want us to be either Division 3 or out of business or join one of their leagues and um, accept their policies, accept their their goals for U.S. soccer. But the reason why we're not going out of business and we're suing them is because we don't want to do that. We don't want to agree with them on that point. So um, I hope we hear a decision soon so we can plan for the future. We can plan for 2018. And I think that's all we're hoping for. So let's move on to the next topic, which I think is very important, which will lead on to the last one before we talk to Cardick. I was told this past Saturday afternoon that the next day, Sunday, January 14th, 2018, that the U.S. Soccer Federation will hold a U.S. Soccer Federation board meeting and they will discuss a lot of topics. But the main topic that was thrown around on Twitter and on social media was that they were going to discuss the uh, future of Division Two soccer. I went to Midtown Manhattan, a hotel where they had it, and I thought that we were going to be in those discussions. Not us being part of it, but us hearing what they had to say on that and much more. I arrived. They all met in this meeting room, and uh, you had Sunil. You had a bunch of uh, U.S. uh, board members, board members that showed up. In person, some on a conference call like you had in the room, you had John Garber, you had the CEO, Dan Flynn, you had John Collins, you had John Paul Mota, and then there was some more people in the room. And then on conference call, you had Don Garber. I think there could have been one or two more on the call as well. But um, for the most part, those were some people that I could remember at the moment. Talk about the budgets and the opening of the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, which will open, um, I believe it's this summer in um in Dallas. I think it's right near FC Dallas' stadium. So they're going to have a, a weekend full of entertainment, full of fun, so they can open up that Hall of Fame for that weekend. They're going to have a concert. They're going to have a match, a MLS match. I think it's that Sunday. And then they will have sort of like how MLB has their Hall of Fame um, induction ceremony where they invite everyone and you can go, you can see what's going on, sort of like that, but they're opening their Hall of Fame. So that's what they were discussing to the board members. That's what a board meeting is. The meeting started at 12 o'clock, and at about 1 o'clock or 12.40, 12.50, Senor Galati says, uh, thanks for coming, everyone. You guys have to leave because we have to move on to the uh, executive part of our meeting, and uh, we need to discuss um, some things in more detail or something like that, he said. So we walked out of the room, and we all left, all guests. From me, Eric Stover, members of the club, just fans in general. And we left the room for good and we couldn't go back in. I left the room thinking they're going to talk about the future of Division 2 soccer when we're gone. When we're gone. But before he left, Rishi Segal, he did make a statement to the U.S. Soccer Federation board, to Don Garber on the phone. And uh, he talked about the voting percentage 
and how him, on behalf of the league, he proposed a new sort of system. Because the one at the moment is not fair. This is my words at the moment right here, is that I think U.S. soccer, with their partners, right, MLS and USL, they're creating this U.S. soccer federation voting percentage so they have more power than the NASL. And they set up these artificial rules where we're going off of how many teams you have and and how many people they draw to their stadium. So they're going off of teams and attendance. How fair is that when a league has got some of their clubs taken away from them? You have Indy 11 join USL. You have Tampa Bay join USL. You have Ottawa Fury join USL. That's three clubs. You have some clubs going out of business. And then last season, we're left with what? Seven, eight clubs? How is that fair? How can three professional leagues, the first league has more because they're top division. They have a lot more teams. They have a lot more people coming to their matches. Then you have USL who have more teams than NASL. And they have a lot more teams, draw a lot more people because they have more teams. And then you have NASL on the other hand that have less teams and probably the attendance as a whole is not that much because you have two leagues that have a lot more teams that if you combine all of their numbers are a lot of fans. And this is not a dig at the NASL. If you poach teams from a league and then come back and say, well, you have this percentage because you only have seven teams, that that's not fair one bit. That's not fair. That's why Rishi Segal made the argument, I don't believe that... They cared for what he had to say um, because that's the main part about those meetings is that you can talk, right? Even if they hate you, even if they don't want to hear what you have to say, even if you're not the most liked person in that room, they're going to hear what you have to say, but they don't have to take your word for it. They don't have to really think about what you said. They don't have to discuss that with the board. They gave you the opportunity to talk but that doesn't mean that they have to care about that. And that's the sad reality of U.S. soccer is that you have people in charge that don't care. And that's why they sanctioned yesterday USL Division 2. And the part that made me very, very, very upset was this. Sanctioning allows NWSL and USL to operate Division 1 and Division 2 league respectively during the 2018 season and includes a two-year pathway to full compliance with the professional league standards. Two-year pathway. In particular, USL has demonstrated substantial progress toward reaching full compliance since being granted provisional Division II sanctioning in 2017. Both NWSL and USL will continue to work with the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors ahead of the annual application deadline to demonstrate progress toward full compliance before their respective 2020 season. The league's must reapply for sanctioning annually. So the NASL did not get that luxury. We didn't get a two-year pathway to full compliance. We didn't get that. But okay, yeah, USL has two years. They have a two-year pathway, but they have to reapply for sanctioning every single year. So it doesn't really make sense 100% because if you're giving me a two-year pathway, we have until 2020, but then now we have to reapply every single year just to see if if we meet the standards or if we're still making progress towards the full compliance. That's just the main point there is that U.S. soccer will help out people that they feel are good for the game in their opinion and 
are good people in their eyes, sort of. And that's the sad reality is that they think, oh, USL is doing well. But no, they have reserve teams and things like that. And they rather help them out and just let the NASL foul. It's sad. Uh, it's really sad to take. Um, as a Cosmos fan, last season we went through very sad times, very tough times as well, seeing um, people that I've known um, that they work for the club and they weren't getting paid. Um, they were looking for other jobs and then this year they moved on or some of them moved on. Now you have to get to know new people and new players and then now we're in the same spot where we were last off season, But now it's worse. Now it's worse. Because last offseason, Rocco came in, bought the team, and we were good. And I was very positive. I thought, okay, we get 12 teams, we can do that, and we'll be around next season, no worries. There are worries. There are uncertainties. And as a fan, you just can't think more than two years. You just have to look at each season. So I was wrong looking forward to the following year saying that we're going to be great. I can't predict the future. No one can. But I'm hoping we get some positive news. But the one thing I'm going to leave supporters across the country with before we get to talk to Carter Krishnire, if we do win the appeal hearing, that will be great for the league because we will have a team to support in 2018. We will have a league to get behind and we will have a a second chance. But if we don't get a positive ruling, if we do indeed lose the appeal hearing, Rocco Camiso will continue to do fight in court. Even though that's not Cosmos on the field in 2018, at least that's something that you can still hold on to. You can still support. You can still get behind that. There's still good people in U.S. soccer that care for the sport, that want to fight for it, that have the resources, and we just have to get behind those people. Because, yeah, we would have to take that loss when the Cosmos might not be on the field in 2018, but maybe... Rocco Camiso with him fighting this case, maybe we one day can see U.S. soccer be better than it is today. Maybe we won't see clubs go out of business. Maybe we won't see um, players have to worry every single year of where they're going to play. So I think this is a bigger picture thing. And that goes back to John Frusciante last season or last offseason thinking, oh, we're going to be great next season. It's, well, maybe we won't be great next season. Not on the field, off the field. Maybe it's, we need to not feel the team in 2018, not feel the team maybe in 2019, but fight for the future of U.S. soccer. Fight for the good people. So the future generation can grow up playing the sport, not getting ripped off at the youth academy level or youth team level. They can grow up, follow a U.S. professional soccer team and have the dream to play for that team and get a great wage, get a living wage playing for that team. Have better opportunities at the professional level in the United States. And hopefully one day we can have a league that people love, that maybe people around the world love to watch and and they wake up to watch it. You know what I mean? And I, I think in U.S. soccer, we have a lot of dreamers. We have a lot of people who care for the game, who care for the future, but we have to all come together if we want to see this sport not take off because I, I think people care for it, but if we put the right people in charge, the sport will be insane in this country. We will reach, I believe, the the, the peak level, and that's why we have to 
get behind uh, Rocco Camiso, who says that he wants to continue to fight, or he will continue to fight if the league does indeed lose the appeal hearing. But we will talk about that a lot more. There's a lot of things going on. This is just like an ongoing uh, discussion. But we will be back next week for sure, uh, talking about these topics and hopefully talking uh, to some high-profile people once we get an official decision. So let's hear from Carter Krishnar. Let's get his opinion on this whole thing. Um, and let's talk about the future of U.S. soccer, the future of lower division U.S. soccer, Division Two soccer, um, the NASL. And I think a very important topic that we should talk about is what's going to happen to the players, young players, if the NASL and the Cosmos do indeed go out of business or if they don't play in 2018, what's going to happen to these players? So here is the one and only Kartik Krishnayer. I'm joined by Kartik Krishnayer. How are you today, Kartik? I'm doing well, John. How are you? I'm doing really good. Uh, we got some news last night that uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation sanctioned the USL as a Division II league. Um, they have a two-year pathway to full compliance with the PLS, the, the Professional League Standards, um, but they have to reapply for sanctioning annually. So some fans might be thinking, what the hell are they doing? They got two years pathway. But no, they have to apply every single season. So, yeah. Look, I, I don't know when this drama is going to end. And, and of course, um, it's possible that someone else gets elected president next month of U.S. soccer. We have a different board and they have a different uh, view towards uh, – the pro league standards, the PLS, they uh, go ahead and, and allow NASL to reform and be sanctioned, and they give USL um, a, a um, and so they let NASL reform and do what they need to do, deal with the litigation, uh, solve that, and then with in, ca- in the case of USL, say okay, uh, you're not in compliance, but we're ripping up these PLS anyway. Now there are certain things in the PLS you need to have, like. Uh, uh, stadium size standards, um, uh, field dimensions, concussion protocols, maybe, you know, met, uh, the need to have a, a PR person, a, a, a marketing person, all of that's fine. But then when you get to the net worth requirements and you get to um, things like the, 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 the size of metropolitan cities, that's all um, that's all nonsense. Right. And, and um, look, I think. Um, even over at USL, the people I talk to in USL, they, they, um, they're not going to say it openly because the NASL has been their adversary and, and NASL is now litigating on the PLS. But a lot of them are um, privately hoping that the PLS goes away. I mean, they've, they've had their own problems with it, right? I mean, in reality, John, I mean, this isn't talked about. I mean, obviously, they're giving USL two years to comply, mm-hmm. uh, but the MLS isn't in full compliance and there's no timeline. They haven't said to MLS, hey, you have two years to comply also, right? <laughs> and you have to reapply next year. They haven't done that. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, uh, I think NASL has been treated very unfairly by the federations we talked about before. I think USL has not been treated well either. Um, you know, if, if you look at the standard that they treat people with, there's a total double standard. Right? They, 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 they work against NASL. Uh, they are pretty neutral on USL, but they don't do anything to help them. And they're very favorable towards MLS, as, as we've seen in um, television contracts and things like that, that, that include MLS but don't include um, USL or NASL or, or even NWSL League that they do, uh, in fairness, they do subsidize. Yeah, I was thinking about that main point right there. Is on September 1st, 
the NASL applied to become a Division Two league. They got rejected, and uh, we got desanctioned. We got our sanction pulled away. But the league, could, uh, I mean, the federation could have said, okay, get your stuff in order by a certain day, and then, like, uh, come back to us, and maybe they could have done the same thing. Okay, to your pathway, but you have to apply or reapply every single year, right? So that would have been fair. Uh, I guess. I mean, I think what the Federation would contend is that they give an NASL waiver after waiver after waiver for years, which they have. But um, there was nothing in the way they communicated with NASL, from what I understand, that indicated this would be the year they drew the line. Now, if you tell NASL to be in the year, okay, you guys have been getting waivers since 2011. We're going to draw a line this year. No more waivers. You've had six years to be getting compliance. You were only in compliance one year, one or two years. There was one year NASL was in, in full compliance. I think it might have been uh, 2015, 2014 or 2015. But um, So this is it. You need to be in full compliance by September or you're done. But no one ever communicated that to mm-hmm. the commissioner or to the owners. Um, so that's the problem. And then I think uh, in USL's case, they've been given two years. But there's other there's this, these, these other factors with USL, which um, are, are creating, um, I don't know, some angst, which is USL is creating a, a third division next year that um, they essentially could jettison their teams that are not in compliance down to the third division, which will get them in full compliance and, 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 and allow them to be fully sanctioned into perpetuity. Um, so the two years is favorable to them because they're creating a, a third division. The other thing I would say that I don't like about it is because of the PLS um, and because of these arbitrary standards in the PLS, there are some very good, successful USL clubs that have done everything right. And I can think of a few on the East Coast. And people listening will know the clubs I'm talking about. I'm talking about multiple clubs. I'm not talking about one or two. That will probably be dropped to USL D3 because they don't comply in one fashion or another, whether it's market size or their owner doesn't have the net worth or you know, all this nonsense, right? This absolute nonsense in these standards. So you know, I feel for those USL clubs. The league, uh, the league has been on a mad dash to get D2. And um, in the process, they've screwed some of their clubs. I mean, there are, club, there are people in USL clubs that have talked to me. Um, in the last six months, we've said, you know, uh, this is ridiculous. You know, we were doing fine. We were doing fine as a D3. Uh, well, we would do fine as a D2, but we can't meet these standards, right? Um, but the standards they can't meet aren't, um, they aren't important standards. They're right. Well, our, our, our metropolitan area has 500,000 people, so I guess we, we, we have to be a D3 team. You know, th- things like that, which are just... Um, but again, uh, John, we've talked about this. I, it seems like a broken record, so I don't really want to get into it again tonight. Yeah. But we've mm-hmm. talked about this over and over again. Where do they get these population standards from? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just madness. So anyway, that's the situation. MLS is the D1. USL is the D2. We will not have a D3 league. D4 is governed by USASA, and that's uh, PDL, NPSL, and UPSL, which is a league that's uh, been making some noise. And I know you've had Paul Lapointe. Uh, on the program before. Yeah, he seems like a decent guy. He's the Northeast Conference Manager of the UPSL. Um, but it looks like we're only going to have two professional leagues sanctioned. Um, hopefully we get a decision from the court on that one um, regarding the NASL's future. Let's just talk about that here. Um, the future of the North American Soccer League. Uh, the appeal hearing happened uh, It was like a week or two before Christmas. I thought we would have heard something um, soon. 
um, but we haven't heard anything. Uh, some teams are planning for the future. Um, but what are your thoughts on the future? Like they have the the calendar change. We talked about that before we got on the air. That you like it. We need to have it. Um, so what are your thoughts uh, regarding the future of the NASL? Uh, but I hear all these arguments about the weather. I hear all these arguments about competing with the NFL and all of this sort of stuff. I get it. I understand all that stuff. But what I, what is important about calendar changes? You cannot line up your transfer windows. Uh, you cannot have a fully integrated professional league system in this country. We're not Brazil. Okay, I keep hearing people make the argument, well, Brazil plays on a different calendar. Well, Brazil is Brazil, right? They have enough good footballers in that country to sustain a professional league. And you have um, lots of European clubs that are willing to take Brazilian players out of the Brazilian league, even if it means they have to take them in January rather than at the start of their season. But I have seen time and time again so many Americans go over in January because MLS is playing on the calendar and ending their season in December, go over in January, have to fight and claw. They're Americans. They're not Brazilians. Okay, so there's already they've already been prejudged in some ways. Okay, let's let's be frank about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they go over from MLS to the end of the MLS season. They have to play right away in, in the Premier League or Bundesliga, whichever league they're signing in, and they never settle. Um, they never settle, and um, because the stakes are so high, you're in the second half of the of the of the European season then, not in the first half. So in order to play on the business end of the season, you have to be really good. You haven't had a preseason with your team. You're going in, and guess what? A lot of those guys don't make it. Maurice Adu, Breck Shea, and then we, we, we've had uh, several others I could think of that have, uh, have gone over, have not settled. Eddie Johnson was an important one at Fulham. Clint Dempsey even, when he went to Fulham in January of 2007, um, it took him till April to claim a starting spot. They were fighting relegation. He scored an important goal against Liverpool to keep him up, and then the rest is history, right? Next six years, he was great for them. But next five years, he was great for them. But it, it, it was really difficult for him to settle. Uh, a year later, they signed Eddie Johnson, same team, um, and he never settled, kept getting loaned out. Um, this happened in... Uh, um, well, there are a couple... I, have, I, you know, I, I could refresh my memory. I, if I refresh my memory, I could go through about a dozen examples of this happening uh, with you. But the most recent examples were Juan Agadello, uh, Breck Shea, and Maurice Adu, three guys who were core players in our national team, who then went to Europe in the, at the end of an MLS season and didn't settle, ended up getting loaned out, or, or, and then all three of those guys ended up back in MLS relatively quickly. And when they ended up back in MLS, they were guys that... Um, yeah, weren't at the same level as when they left MLS, right? They had mm-hmm. regressed as players when they went to Europe. You know, guys are supposed to get better when they go to Europe, but these guys had regressed because they weren't playing and they went in the wrong window. So um, calendar change is really important because just think about this, okay? Um, you guys lost Nico Cranshaw last season to Rangers, the club Marisa Du had played for, um, and several other Americans, mm-hmm. because it was the start of the Scottish Premier League season. Yeah, that's the reason. So you, 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 in our former NASL calendar, you can play. You start a season in May, uh, March or April, and you, you have a guy for ten games. We had it happen with us here with Fort Lauderdale with Mar- Marius Evers, a German international that was here for ten games in in uh, 2014, a player who comes from FC San Pauli and, and went back. Right. So this is uh, this is. A deadly serious issue. I hear the weather arguments. I understand. Oh, we can't compete with the NFL. But again, um, you just you're not going to develop your players properly. So then 
um, the only way to, 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 to overcome this is to force teams in Major League Soccer, hold a gun to their head and say, well, they have to sell their players to European clubs in July when they come in and make offers. Well, no MLS GM wants to do this. Look, I, I mean, I know the, the, the GM in Dallas pretty well who handled the Brexit situation in 2012 and was basically like, we're in July. Why would we sell this guy to a team in England when we're fighting for an MLS playoff spot? So they held him and then sold him in January of 2013. And he never settled at Stoke. I mean, he got, they got a good transfer, right? Um, but two years later, he was back with uh, Orlando City in MLS. So, um, yeah, I, this tr- calendar change, is, it's, a, it's, it's an important issue that no one wants to talk about other than Eric Winalda and people like me. And I'm, I'm just thrilled the NASL is doing it. So, um, right. So we're saying now uh, the season, the NASL season will start in August of uh, whatever year this is, 2018. Sorry. Yeah, I think the exact date is, is August 11th. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be more details, my understanding is, about competition format in February and schedule probably will come out in March. But I know you're not in on this information, but when do you think we might have a hearing? Like, we all know that the court case was expedited, but not the the ruling, of course. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, I defer to people like uh, Professor Stephen Bank and Mickey Turner and yeah, yeah, yeah. those who really follow this to... to um, Look, I, I think Judge Brody had expedited the decision, which was even though it didn't go the NASL's way, was helpful in that you had a decision by then. You had held settlement talks. Those fell through. But my understanding is, I don't know if this has been talked about before, my understanding is that they were really close to a settlement. Um, there were some forces within the USSF that didn't want to settle and uh, ultimately scuttled uh, any deal. But there was uh, some common ground. So, uh, again, there are people in the USSF who – who don't want to see MLS go, or excuse me, NASL go away. Um, now, that's not the case when you um, look at the people on the pro council, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're um, they're uh, USL and, and uh, MLS people. But there is still an opportunity, I think, even after this um, this appeal, let's say the NASL loses the appeal, to, to make, a, make a settlement, uh, potentially work with a new USSF president. I think... Uh, of the eight candidates, John, I think you were looking at um, two, two or three of them that would be very, very uh, favorable to NASL. I think there are um, three right in the middle, uh, and there are um, two that are not favorable, right? And I, I think everybody can guess who what I'm thinking about each. Um, I would say, uh, look, I mean, I, I see a lot of attacks on Kyle Martino by, by true believers and, and people on um, the pro-rel side. Look, he, he, he's, he may not be a full loaf of bread, but he's like eight slices, okay, or, or, or nine slices. So, um, you know, he's pretty good. And, and he's now actually put out a, a real plan that, that uh, I think is freaking out some of the people in the establishment. So, um, so he, he, I think he's pretty favorable to any. So I've, I've had some conversations with him. Uh, I've, had some, I've had public conversations with him, which are on um, various shows. The Yanks are coming in, in World Soccer Talk where he speaks very favorably about NASL publicly, which is important, but privately he's even been more supportive. Um, I would say the same, obviously Eric Winald has been endorsed by the NASL. He would be the most favorable candidate. I think uh, Hope Solo and Paul Calagiri are likely pretty favorable. I'm not sure about Steve Gans and Mike Vinograd. Steve Gans is a guy that knows an awful lot about the NASL, actually. So uh, he might, he, he should be favorable, um, but who knows? Um, Gans knows a lot more about the Premier League than he does about... Um, 
than he does about the domestic pro game, in fairness. So um, uh, he's he's an uh, impressive guy. He's, he's, repped a, uh, he's repped the Premier League in this country. Um, and part of the uh, – and I don't know how, how MLS people feel about him because uh, uh, Steve Gans was one of the leading figures in um, pushing the Premier League's brand forward in the United States uh, at a time when um, – MLS got left behind, and the Premier League has now become much more popular in this country. So, so Gans was a big part of that. Um, and then um, Mike Vinograd, I think it's a kind of an impressive guy, but I don't know where he stands on NASL. Carlos Cordero hasn't been favorable. He voted against NASL sanctioning on the board um, uh, last year and this year, and I believe was problematic in the past also. Um, and then Kathy Carter, we know where she stands, right? We yeah. just mm-hmm. to get too deep into that. Um, so I, I think that there are some possibilities that the NASL, look, they're not sanctioned right now, but th- that, that very well could change. And again, there are people in the Federation that want to settle this, don't want this going to trial. And if Rocco Camiso is committed regardless of whether the NASL kicks another ball or not, is committed to, to litigating this all the way. I think there's still going to be some um, sentiment to settle. Uh, uh, but that would happen after this election. Look, I think everybody's focused on February 10th, what happens in Orlando and, um, on February 11th is a Sunday. So let's say February 12th, we start, we start having these conversations again. So let's just talk about the players in the league, of course. Um, so there's USL. So we, we will only have two professional leagues in America. So you, you have some young players like Eric Calvillo, I think is like 19, 20 years old. What's going to happen to these players? Because MLS is not going to pick up all of them. USL is not. Do they go abroad? Probably not all of them. You know what I mean? So where do all these players fall? Yeah, I think that's a big problem. Look, uh, we need to have more teams, not less. This is why I know a lot of the NASL fans get angry at me and uh, I'm somehow compromised because I believe that there is a need for for MLS reserve teams and for, for two teams. Now, whether the two teams play in D2 or maybe they, they go to this new USL D3, maybe that's the appropriate place for them. But um, I think we need those teams because we need jobs for these players. We have we have so many players flying through the cracks in this country, John. I mean, and now mm-hmm. you're going to have um, less, fewer and fewer professional teams. So these guys play amateur season in NPSL uh, or in PDL. Or, or what do they do? Do they go abroad? Do they end up playing in the third division in Finland? I mean, do we really want that? If we're developing, if we're trying to develop players, we want guys playing in in the in the in the uh, uh, Swedish third division. No, uh, we want guys um, able. We want guys to play domestically at professional clubs in environments where their development is taken care of, and then we want guys going to the best leagues in Europe, not Sweden, not to Norway. No offense to those leagues, I and mean, we've had so many Americans that have gone to those leagues through the years, and. Um, I think we've evolved past having to go to Scandinavian leagues, but that's what's going to end up happening, right? They're going to go to some, um, yeah, we'll have guys playing in Eastern Europe. We'll have guys playing in the Polish second division. We don't want that, right? And all these kind of ra- Americans at random clubs and outside of the larger leagues in Europe. And, and, um, no, I, I mean, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think this is favorable to anyone. USL has 33 clubs this season. Um, which is uh, quite frankly less than they should have because they should have absorbed some more of the NASL clubs. And there are some two teams that have folded. There are three, two teams that have disappeared this season. So um, including one here in Florida, which uh, uh, I'm very cognizant of because there were players I know that were under contract with Orlando's USL team that are now looking for work themselves at the same time as NASL players are looking for work. So 
it's not a good situation. And this is this is the stability that we need. The the the, the people who have to lead this because of this closed league system, you have obviously MLS is going to be looking out for MLS. USL is going to be looking out for USL, and NASL. Uh, to the extent that they're able to, is going to look out for themselves. So you need a federation, John, that's going to look out at the at the entire umbrella of professional soccer and do something to help these players. But they don't they don't care. They're not a the federation behaves like this uh, aloof governing body that has no action that is not a stakeholder in the professional game in this country. And I've been saying this for years. And I know this is the sort of uh, feeling that that a lot of the owners in the NASL have that. Uh, the interim commissioner, Rishi Segal, has uh, similar feelings. Uh, I, I know that, that I do. And I have to say, quite frankly, I think a lot of USL owners have these, these feelings, too. And this leadership, there's just a complete lack of leadership. And, um, you know, you don't want to put everything on one man uh, because there, there are a lot of people who are complicit in this. But the leadership at the very top, uh, Mr. Galati, has been uh, just devastating for the lower divisions and for player development in this country. And I, I think... Uh, um, the um, Sunil Gulati for everything that he's gone through and done in good and bad is going to be remembered for, for, for his piano lesson quote. I mean, that is just the most cringeworthy thing, but that describes how aloof he is. Yeah. And, and hopefully we do get a, um, a new guy elected um, in February and hopefully he can, or she uh, can, uh, Hopefully bring the NASL back somehow um, because we need more clubs. And I think also the the other point that needs to be made here is that there needs to be someone who is in the job. Uh, This is unrelated to the NASL, but you might be able to appreciate this with your own soccer association. We need someone in the job, John, that's not going to dictate from soccer house to the to the state soccer associations and then to the adult leagues, uh, just mandate things without taking into account individual circumstances or uh, working with them. So, so the PLS is, a, is indicative of what we're seeing go on at the youth level. It's the same sort of thing. Mandates and dictates from Soccer House, from the U.S. Soccer Board, with, from guys like Carlos Cordero, who's on that board, who, who, and Donna Shalala and others who don't have any real understanding of what uh, is going on at the youth level. Now, I'll be honest with you. As close as I am to some of these these youth clubs and, and to the situation, I, I'm not. I don't think I'm qualified at all mm-hmm. to, to, to make to, to develop those mandates. Um, the, I and this is going to be an interesting thing because I think Eric Winalda, Kyle Martino, Stephen Gans, um, Mike Vinograd, all the guys we're mentioning, Cope Solo, uh, uh, Paul Calajuri, they, they all feel that way. They all they're they're, they're going around and listening as a campaign and. and that's the biggest thing. It's, well, why is Soccer House mandating um, to our state soccer association we have to do this and do that? This is why, um, as Grant Wall reported, obviously, the shakedown that Garber and uh, Gulati were trying to employ to get, get support for Kathy Carter. This is why, and this again shows how aloof Gulati and, and the leadership has been. This is why when they try and stop Kathy Carter, and, and you know, I feel bad for her because she's just kind of the 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 – the standard bearer, right? I mean, the damage hasn't been done by her. It's been done by those who support her. Um, this is why when they try and shop her to youth soccer associations, they're having trouble because they're saying, well, look, you, you, you're just going to continue the Galati regime where it's a top-down regime. Um, you're trying to grab more of our dues money. You're trying to grab more of our player registration money. You're trying to centralize the, the officials, the officiating 
standards. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to send, you're trying to do all of this, and um, it's a big country, and grassroots soccer is um, is thriving in spite of you guys. But we we won't thrive forever. So I, I look the PLS. It's something we talk about as NASL. Uh, people, people around NASL, people around USL talk about it. People around MLS don't care because they, these standards don't apply to them. But, um, right, it's indicative of a whole culture, John, in U.S. soccer where mm-hmm. um, you talk to your state soccer association. They'll probably tell you, unless they're Sunil people, but they'll probably – They are. Someone that's – yeah, okay. So talk to another state soccer association. <laughs> they'll tell you the same thing I'm saying that, hey, uh, this, the soccer house has mandated all this stuff. Uh, we're not going to vote for Kathy Carter. We're, we're going to vote for, I don't know, we're going to vote for Steve Gantz because we're, we're tired of this. So that's um, that's the reality. <laughs> I think that this is, this is really complicated because they have damaged themselves at the pro level. They have damaged themselves at the adult level. And they have an- damaged themselves at the youth level. So I am convinced that if six any of the six candidates I mentioned who aren't um, Carter or Cordero come in, there will be some sort of sea change. Now, will it be uh, a total overhaul of the system as Cal Martino has proposed in his document? Um, uh, maybe not. Maybe it'll be something in between, but there, there will be some significant changes if it's not one of those two. Um, and I think NASL will probably, my instinct tells me NASL will probably be revived if it's anyone but those two. Um, I could be wrong, but... Um, um, I mean, as I said earlier, I, I know Martino and Winalda for sure are, are favorable towards NASL. And, and I think the other four that aren't Carter and Cordero probably are as well. Yeah, talking about the state associations, uh, the New York State Association, when Grant Wall asked, oh, why are you, are you supporting Kathy Carter? He was like, well, she played soccer. What league? My league. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And you're like, what? So I could play youth soccer. And all I have to do is just work within the business of soccer in America. You know what I mean? And that makes me the president of U.S. soccer or I can get support for that position. That's insane. Right. You know well, I mean? he wants to talk about someone who played soccer. Hope Solo won a World Cup. Yeah. He's like, yeah, well, and the U.S. won that yeah. World Cup because mm-hmm. of her, because we never would have got. I know Carly Lloyd got all the headlines, but we never would have gotten to the finals without her. So uh, you know, he, he wants someone who played soccer. Um, we've got someone who's a World Cup winner running. <laughs> Why isn't he supporting her? Right. Oh, yeah, what an asinine yeah, yeah. comment. Excuse my language. That, that that guy just he made an he made a complete fool of himself. Yeah, but then he's like, well, they don't know the business side. Well, who really does? You know what I mean? Not everyone knows everything. You know what I mean? There's like 150 employees at U.S. Soccer, so you're not doing everything. The president of U.S. Soccer has to be someone who takes a step back and it has a bully pulpit and gives a vision. And, 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 and inspires confidence in the greater soccer community and uses the presidency to inspire confidence, inspire conversations, inspire consensus. So Neil Galati has done none of that. What he has done is, is created an autocratic regime where he, um, he arbitrarily has made decisions for years. Now, some of those decisions, I will admit, I have agreed with. I'm not going to go through all of them. There are a handful of Galati decisions I've agreed with. But he's made them individually. He hasn't made... He hasn't made them uh, by having conversations, having town hall meetings, listening to people. And one thing we've learned in this campaign is there are massive soccer communities all over this country. And Eric Winalda has gotten around to all of them. Uh, Kyle Martino now has gotten around to a lot of them. 
Paul Caligiuri has gotten around to a lot of them, uh, and and so on and so forth. Winograd, Gans, Solo, um, and there are some real burning issues in this game. Um, and I have to say, there there are some uh, serious serious problems with um, not only all the things we've talked about, professional leagues, youth leagues, adult leagues, but the the entire administration of the development academy uh, and uh, the men's and women's national teams. And, and this is why um, I think you've got some great candidates, Winalda, Martino, I mentioned Solo, uh, all of them, Caligiuri. I think they all need to be working together. I mean, I, I think um, if Eric Winalda wins, he needs to reach out to Hope Solo and say, okay, Hope, uh, you know, I, I really need you to take a leadership role. And I, and I think she will. Um, similarly, Martino wins. He needs to reach out to Winalda. Um, so I, 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 I really am hopeful that the conversations we're having and, and some of the things I've seen in Kyle Martino's plan, I, I don't like everything in there, but, um, and I think maybe he goes too slow on the implementation of promotion and relegation and some other stuff, but you know, he's laid out a plan and the plan is, um, the plan is pretty ambitious and, and, uh, he's put his name to it and he's, he's embraced Ideas like ProRel and calendar change and, and transparency and um, futsal. I mean, uh, Martino talks a lot about that in his plan, the, the need to, to develop futsal as a, mm-hmm. as a mechanism for development in this country. I think that's, that's incredibly important. Um, you know, can you imagine we had a professional futsal league right now? John, we, we would have a place for a lot of these guys to go who are displaced by NASL. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And not only that, I think it's a good place for young players to develop ball skills. So, um, that's that's the subject that I haven't really thought much about. I mean, I've heard some conversations about it. And then I talked to Martino last week and we started talking about futsal and, and he kind of convinced me. I'm like, yeah, you know, we need a professional futsal league. That, that's, I that's, think that's someone's right. working on it. Uh, yeah, I could be yeah. wrong. I think we do have some type of association or something regarding. Yeah. 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 And I was talking to him about it. So, yeah, there's so much that we need to do and it's not going to happen if the Sunil regime continues. And um, look, uh, Sunil has, in essence, botched every decision, every major decision. Like I said, there are some decisions I've agreed that he's made arbitrarily. Those were back. Those were in 2011, 2013, 2009. Uh, he's botched every decision he's made. I think uh, uh, since uh, since I would say 2013 or 2014. That, that would include. I mean, Jill Ellis won a World Cup, right? But I would even include the sacking of Tom Sermani. I don't think that was the right decision either. So he's basically botched every decision since then. Uh, to give Klinsman the extension, then to hire Arena instead of him. I mean, all these things. Um, the NA, the way the NASL has been handled, um, the, the 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 CBA, the women's CBA, uh, the, the way that was handled, um, the sum contracts, all of this stuff. I think has been has been botched, and obviously. Um, his handling of, of uh, now most recently of, of uh, the U.S. defeat. And um, I, look, I, I said it earlier, John, I think that the legacy, the lasting legacy of Sunil in a lot of people's minds will be him comparing uh, uh, high-end academy pay-to-play soccer to piano lessons. <laughs> I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll quit on that because that, that, caps, that encapsulates everything. The women's national team, we had a head start on everyone. People weren't taking women's football very seriously until recently, the other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, places like Sweden and Norway did. But uh, the, the football powerhouses, the Frances, the Germanys, um, the Englands, and now, uh, J- and obviously Japan, uh, also very, very strong. And, and they, they, they have eclipsed us in the men's game now also. Um, 
You think that the women's team is immune from what happened to the men's team? No. We're only four to six years behind in the women's game what happened to the men's team happening. It's already beginning to happen. Um, and if you like women's soccer, this is the time to make a change because we haven't fallen yet. We're still one of the best, best programs in the world. But if it continues on the current trajectory in 2024, 2022 or 2024, we're going to be having the same conversation about the women's national team that we're now having about the men's national team. So um, you have to make these changes now otherwise. And I'm not the only one saying this. There were people who cover the women's game saying this. There were people like Julie Foudy warning about this. Um, she decided not to run for U.S. soccer president for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think uh, there are people who, who, who are hiding behind the women's national team saying, oh, well, well they're doing great. Uh, they're world champions. They're world champions now. But like Italy – who went from world champions in 2006 in the World Cup, men's World Cup, to not getting out of the group in 2010, to uh, finishing behind Costa Rica, a CONCACAF country in their group in 2014. I uh, recovered in Euro 2016, but um, that was because of Conte, really. That was a, that was a, a single a tournament with a, with a manager, high-end manager, to not qualifying in 2018. I could see the U.S. women's team falling on that same trajectory if we don't make changes. They won the World Cup in 20, 2015, 2019. Uh, struggle, maybe get out of the group, lose in the quarterfinals. 2023, qualify, you know, don't get out of the group stage, and by 2027, not make the uh, not make the World Cup. That that sounds fatalistic, but that's the that's the track we're on. So, um, you know, and, and unlike the men's game where we haven't really won anything, the women's game we won three World Cups. So it would be incredible if somehow we missed the missed qualifying for a World Cup, um, but we've missed we've been, we've been beat at the youth level. Uh, pretty badly recently in the women's game. So it, it's coming. Um, so I'll, I'll just leave it on that. There's a lot of problems, John. We could, we could spend uh, six hours talking about this. Maybe we're going to have to have another conversation before the election. Thanks, Carter, for coming on the show. Like you said Thanks. right there, hopefully you can come on real soon. Thanks to Carter Krishnar for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at First Team Pod. Want to voice your opinion on what has been discussed on this week's episode of First Team Podcast. Feel free to email the show at firstteampod at gmail.com. That is firstteampod at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. The first episode of 2018. We will be back next week. And as always, let's go New York Cosmos. Yeah, just want to give a shout out to the five points. Borough boys up in the Del Cosmos and the Cross Island yeah. crew. Uh, uh, yeah, it's New York street and white. What we believe you see in fight. Indeed, it seems to be achieving. See, we do and did it right. Cosmo country loving, we above them. I'm just saying. All those lovely somethings come and see it and I'm playing. The fact of it is, rap from state attacks, hash and bliss. Reacts, tap, we win. So fast, racking them in. Whether it's stack the wing, on the back to the through the mid, cutting the seams. It seems we see anything to be. We got a ball and a dream. Got a ball and a dream. We do. I'm new, it's true. Fancy crew. Down for you, no doubt they do. Surrounding you with bad views. Like Without the cues allowed to hear without the dudes Around my crews, I'll track the past, no excuse Each session a lesson, it's not about perfection The work's the test and F's connected like a method Not breathless after training, something's gotta be corrected Rushing and acceleration at the start's the most suggested Infected with greatness, potential is spacious Out the world, just face it, the work becomes contagious Some may say we made it, but now we've just begun Sorry if you hate it, because I can tell you that I'm far from done